I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. You don't have to reinvent the wheel every time you finish a strategy. Just fine-tune it and use it again if it works for you in the market at that time. This is Property Investory, where we talk to successful property investors to find out more about their stories, mindset and strategies. I'm Tyrone Shump and in this episode, we're speaking with life, business and property coach Jill McIntyre to delve more into the lessons she's learned in her life and property journey. She shares how she helped her clients apply these as well as the interesting way she started out in property and how she found the renovation strategy to be the best one for her. Not only a passionate life, business and property coach, but also a dedicated grandmother, McIntyre's day mainly consists of helping others in the property space and enjoying time with her family. As a coach, I look at people as a whole and work through through their lives where they are and moving forward. So I do that uh, from a life point of view mindset, from a business point of view, and every one of my clients is into property, which of course is my passion. On the other hand too, I'm in property myself and uh, yes, I love it. I'm a, a grandmother with... Um, Three grandchildren, uh, little ones up to 11 years of age. Uh, that's just the love of my life, which I'm loving on a daily basis, uh, and the unconditional love I get. And uh, yes, I've never been happier in the space that I'm at at the moment, helping others and into property and just enjoying each day. Growing up in real Melbourne with her parents and four siblings, McIntyre spent her childhood living and helping out on the family's little farm. I grew up in, uh, well, Warrenwood, which is just near South Warrenwood in, in Melbourne, actually. And in those days, it was on a, a farm that we had um, 25 acres we lived on, Mum and Dad lived on, and there was us, the youngest of five children. And so we were very isolated. There was Mum and Dad and five children, so seven around the table. Don't know how Mum did it uh, on a daily basis. And mum would run the little farm and dad had his own business. And, uh, of course, in those days, um, it was very, very rural where now it's just uh, 500 square metre blocks of land and house after house after house. What was it like growing up on a farm? Isolated. <laughs> <laughs> and and looking, looking back as I got further into um, life, as I'm going to share with you in a few minutes, uh, I wasn't too good on the stakes of um, self-confidence and self-worth. And in those days, I certainly didn't know any differently. Um, we, yes, occupied ourselves, learned to occupy ourselves because our neighbours weren't just next door. Uh, they were 
yes, further away. We did have connections, but there was always jobs to do. There was always work to do and a very strong work ethics from my parents' point of view on you must work hard, you must work hard and um, save your money and you must work hard. And I honour my parents for so many of the lessons of their teachings but who I am today, but also some of them I've had to undo because we can... Uh, live and enjoy our money rather than just keeping on working. There's another thing of working hard where I now doubt working smart. So uh, it, it's taking their original thought and turning it to work in a better thinking from my point of view. While somewhat isolated from her neighbours, McIntyre shares that her childhood home wasn't that far away from the town and so she still attended the local school. We were in suburbia. If you could imagine... Um, you're in Sydney, so if you could imagine living in Parramatta, and uh, yes, that's about where our farm was, but if you could imagine Parramatta being exactly the same, um, 15 k's or something or 20 k's out of town, um, that's what it was like. So yes, I went went to um, MLC in Melbourne and caught the train and things like that, and uh, yeah, yeah, we had a, a normal walk to the state school, which was or a fairly old walk. There was only five children in grade six at that stage. And, um, yes, it was a country a country area, very much so. Reminiscing on her post-school days, McIntyre explains that she went straight into the workforce. In those days, um, yes, I, I even smiled because in those days, the banks wouldn't even, if you were married, they wouldn't take the, the wife's um, income when lending. So things were very, very different then because you were supposed to stay home and have babies and that was it. Um, you never went back into the workforce. And um, I started off and I got worked um, for solicitors and I did the money side. I started on the money side and then worked my way up to office manager over the years. Uh, and, yeah, I loved the money side of things and running and organising so really that was a good um, ground rules and ground work for me to lead into what I was doing next. Working with a solicitor and managing trust accounts, it was following an unfortunate loss that McIntyre eventually had to move on and look for new work. We come back to the point when our 39 my husband got cancer and died and our children at that stage were 11 and 9 years of age and it didn't take me long that... Um, I was working part-time still with the same solicitor at that stage and it didn't take me long to realise that I needed to be earning more money. So this was the next stage in my life and, of course, there was a lot of upheavals after my husband died with our children and uh, he was my soulmate, he was my best friend and, you know, the unexpected happens when we never have expected. Buying into a franchise with the hopes that it would increase her income, McIntyre set up shop with a bread-making business. I just knew that um, there had to be more money coming into the household and how could I do it? And even then, although I was on a, a much simpler and more naive because my parents were always, you work hard and you stay in the one job. And that was the uh, thinking of everyone in those days, that you'd have one job, you'd stay there until you retired. Um, there was never the changing of jobs for growth and, and that type of thinking back then. So I, I had a, a couple of good friends and there's, uh, there was a um, franchise down here in Melbourne called Simply No Need and it was a bread-making franchise. And uh, so I bought into the franchise of which I 
uh, set up shop, um, had it reconfigured, had a large teaching area, um, bought the all of the stock for uh, the shop in bulk and have it packed down. And then I'd teach people how to make bread, how to make all different sorts of yeast products. Being one of um, six franchises, uh, it was a lovely, lovely business. And I was certainly very passionate. It was full-time, long hours, um, two classes at night, uh, five and a half days, six and a half days a week or six days a week. And uh, from that, their money just never flowed. The promised money never flowed. So by day three, uh, I went on through year three, sorry, I had an overdraft and uh, that encouraged me, the franchisors, to do that. However, problems with the franchise continued to arise. From there on, it just went downhill from there and the other franchises were having the same problem. So by about year three and a half, um, five of the six franchises banded together and the ACCC eventually took us on board as the first franchise test case against a franchisor. And that was a very harrowing time where I think at the end of it all, I was the closest I've ever been to a breakdown. And I would have lost hundreds of thousands um, in lost earnings in that business well and truly. But the funny, the funny thing is, though, that all of these years down the track, my daughter got on and looked at the website only in the last couple of months, and there's been something like 70 people. I got nothing out of it other than winning. Um, but our, our um, precedent that's been set with all of the heartache, there's about 70 other franchises now that they were using our precedent to help their cause against a franchisor. So it certainly wasn't for nothing. It was to help other people as well. And that's how I look at things. Despite this positive outlook, surviving as a family at the time proved difficult and so eventually McIntyre had to close down the franchise. Financially going down the gurgler Um, and it was between a rock and a hard place because I couldn't sell the business but you couldn't move out of the business and eventually when we um, all jumped ship, I was the first one with the ACCC backing and um, good lawyers and things like that which all came at a cost, a massive cost. But nevertheless, I was open for nine weeks and the franchise doors broke in twice. And and uh, so I, I shut shop up, um, as did some of the other franchises as well. But it was a very harrowing time that left its marks on many people. It didn't know, seemed to matter where I went. There was always people that were coming up and there was lots of angry people that... Um, yeah, just couldn't understand the ideas of why people could come from agreed thinking. But it was a good learning ground for me, I must say. It was after a close friend convinced McIntyre to move to Sydney that she continued to work tirelessly in order to make the move. I had a um, dear friend in Sydney and all of these years, she used to live in Melbourne from early days, um, growing up and she kept on saying why don't you come to um, Sydney and live so after a while when I, I virtually closed the doors I had uh, just struggling to keep the roof over my children's head so I got three jobs and I'd work seven days a week and I'd wake up at three o'clock in the morning thinking where, what day of the week is it and where do I go today and I'm sure a lot of people listening can feel the hard, this same hardship that they're having about the, the daily humdrum of where you're going and what you're doing. She shares that while much of the work she was doing varied, 
She was appreciative of the many opportunities given to her. I was um, divisional, uh, what do you call them, divisional manager or something at um, nursing homes. I was a um, cook at a nursing home, <laughs> you name it. I was bookkeeping somewhere else. Uh, yeah, anything that I could get my hands on to make money. And because I've taught cooking, um, yes, the cooking side of it, and I've always loved being creative um, with things that I do, so diversional therapy. So teaching and sharing diversional therapy with the oldies, um, that was another thing that just grew out of there. I've been very, very lucky because jobs came to me all the way along. I never, ever seemed to have to go for a job. It was just someone else that would pop up and, yes, offer me a job. It was quite strange. But I, <laughs> I'm very much of the belief that if you if you turn up, the opportunity will turn up and this has only grown since then. After continuing to work multiple jobs, it was around the year 2000 that McIntyre eventually left Melbourne behind her and made the move to Sydney. So I stuck that out for a while and when the children, my children were in the early, um, the early 20s, I moved to Sydney with one carload and didn't know anything about Sydney other than one you know, couple. And that was where my new life started. I just needed a change of scenery. Um, everything here at home in Melbourne was just so bringing up so much emotion and um, I needed a new start. So, yep. I packed up and went, you know, with a lot of thought going into it about timing and things like that. It wasn't an on-the-spur moment um, thing that I did. Following her move to Sydney and working as an operational manager, McIntyre made contacts that led to her watching the personal development presentation that catalyzed her property career. Well, when I went to Sydney, I, I got offered a, a position as operational manager in a very large party hire um, business. And I did that for a couple of years over the Olympic Games in Sydney. And, uh, yeah, that was a physically hard job, which um, was hard work, to be quite honest. And certainly very, very different to what I'd been doing um, and Good mates, I'd been interviewed um, for television for an interview today tonight at one of those shows at that stage with my franchise or because at that time it made headlines being the first test case against a franchise or. And from um, the film crew, even to today, I'm still friendly with uh, two of the girls who were the camera people and the the farm people. And they'd been to see a guy... um, present and they had a free ticket and so they said to me, we've got a free ticket for you, this guy does personal development and I've got a hearing problem and usually when I'd go to listen to people I'd struggle because I just couldn't hear and I'd get so frustrated and think, why am I wasting the time here and uh, get nothing out of it. So a couple of days before I rang one of the girls up and I said, is this going to be a waste of time and they said, just go and see what happens. Well, I went along and I could hear most of what he was saying and I just knew from my point of view after years of not hearing that I was meant to be there. And did I have the money to pay for the course uh, for his personal development intensive um, five-day living course? Absolutely not. But I was very, very determined that that's where I was going to be. So I set about then creatively how could I make that money to make it happen? 
And uh, yep, somehow or another, it all came together. And I started off on the personal development course. Um, and in that uh, area then, four weeks later, this same mentor had a, a very intense two-year property course starting. And there was either the, the guy um, in the course uh, that was doing shares uh, an option trading or otherwise property and I couldn't – the shares guy had a very strong German accent and I just couldn't understand him, let alone hear him. And uh, so I got into property and property was the one that felt comfortable for me back then. Coming up after the break, we'll delve further into Jill McIntyre's wild property journey going through all of that to solve a problem and at the end of all we all sat down and said there's got to be an easier way to make money in property. Has she found the right strategy to grow her portfolio? We ended up going to the Cessnock area and started on um, buy, renovate, uh, existing house, subdivide and sell the raw site and that's where I got into doing um, subdivision. And that's next. I'm Tyne Sharp and you're listening to Property Investory. While she agrees that this is where her property journey began, she adds that what happens prior to your property journey is just as important. Property is only our vehicle. It's what happens between our ears that gets us and keeps us on focus. And without that, if we can't get that working with us, it's going to be, uh, life's going to be hard. Yeah, so that's where mindset uh, complementary with, with what you're investing into property is really, really important. Okay, so tell us a little bit about this journey then. Around about 2002, you started taking a property course and um, it was helping you also develop your mindset. Where did you go from there? Did you start going to property and start investing? It was a fabulous property group. It was a large property group and we were all broken up into different areas. I joined the, I was in Sydney of course, and joined the inner west one which is all uh, around Leichhardt and Belmain and that area because other friends that I'd met at that workshop um, were joining that area in that group. It was a very, very active group and wasn't very long one of the guys who led that group, he asked me to come and work for him. So he was in property and property investing and uh, so I got involved in that um, more and more and of course work with the inner circle of, of my buddies, uh, as I called them, a group of core people that were very, very active and proactive in getting out and looking for property. But three of the guys in that um, group approached me and said, would um, I come on and, and work with them? And we were all at the beginning in the property group, but far enough along that we all knew the motivation of each other and, and what the strengths and weaknesses of each other they didn't in those days identify those strengths um, where I would these days because as a life coach, I'm very much into personalities. But looking back, it was um, four of us, uh, which I did a lot of work with the guys for a number of years. And we bought, at that stage when I first started with them, they were doing um, multi-dwelling developments in the, around the, the, um, uh, Tilopia area and Parramatta area in, in Sydney and uh, buying two and three houses together and doing multi-dwelling. While this marked the beginning of a later successful property journey, 
McIntyre shares that the process was hectic and involved a lot of legal disputes that made her question their approach to property. That was just fraught with one major nightmare after another as the architect kept on trying to push the boundaries, which meant two years later approval for these properties still wasn't there and the option agreement expired and um, you know holding costs were killing them. And uh, so we ended up going to the Land Environment Court and each one of the five properties that I had that I was then a part of um, went to the Land and Environment Court and won them all with lots of um, changes that had to be made. But that in itself was an experience to be part of the Land and Environment Court um, going through all of that to solve a problem. And at the end of all, we all sat down and said, there's got to be an easier way to make money in property. Deciding to renovate and subdivide, McIntyre and her business partners continued to grow their portfolio while also building on their personal strengths and pushing one another out of their comfort zone. We ended up going to the Cessnock area and started on um, buy, renovate, uh, existing house, subdivide and sell the raw site and that's where I got into doing um, subdivisions. And um, I was the one on the ground that uh, I was doing also all the financials for the the guys and for all our entities and doing some bookkeeping on the side. So that was my income stream. And um, then getting into the property and very hands-on, we go up and stay uh, in one of the houses and did a renovation and got in to do renovations before we even owned the property, only in the deposit stage. And I was the one that would do the negotiation. It was a fabulous learning curve. Um, after we would talk about strategies in our team meeting, uh, all of the other guys worked, and so all bar one. And so I was the one that was the um, the one up the front and did it. Pushed me out of my comfort zone at times, well and truly. But you know, we need to be pushed out of our comfort zone. And the funny changing about it is, we do live through it. Um, it's our mindset that stops us. Uh, and we can grow. I look on it that these things, by doing it, they're growth spurts for us to get on and do it. Considering the issue with her first property investing projects to be one of her worst moments, McIntyre sheds light on how she should have approached the situation then. Well, I think looking back in hindsight, it would have been cheaper to pay the 30 grand for each site to go to Land Environment Court than what it was to hold those properties for two and a half years. Really? Wow. <laughs> So, you know, in hindsight, we learn a lot, um, well and truly. And and in all everything that I seem to have done was such a good learning curve um, that I help others, even going into a franchise. Do you think if I have a, a client that thinks about going into a franchise, do you think I give them the third degree? Uh, to make sure we ask the right questions. It isn't that we we don't ask questions because we don't know what questions to ask. And this applies to whether it's a franchise, whether it's work, whether it's business, with whatever we're doing. So it's to find out more about what is really relevant for the end result that we're doing. And with our subdivisions, the buy, renovate, subdivide, sell, um, even with the first deal, 
that we got. I had a good relationship working with an agent, local agent up in Cessnock at that stage, and I would nag him twice a week, and so he got to know who I was very quickly, and he rang up and he said, there's a property coming up and it's fitting into your criteria because I wanted the house to be positioned correctly and uh, the access handle to the the rear site to be um, positioned correctly in an older house. And I went up and I said to him, the house is nearly empty. Um, Is there any way we gain access to this property before um, we actually settle on it? So by then he knew where we were coming from, that we were going to certainly move forward and look after the house and value-add to it. So we spoke to the uh, two adult sons with the beneficiaries and they came and met us and they agreed. And they said, "There's a, the kids around the corner at the street have been breaking into the house and it's breaking our heart. This was mum and dad's house uh, for the last 50 years. And they both died, both parents. So we moved in. I got a four-month settlement rather than a three-month settlement. I got an extended settlement. In that time, we'd go up at the weekends. We did the renovation. Um, very early on in the piece, as soon as we signed the deposit, um, I got the surveyor to get the application in for the subdivisions. So that was all happening while we didn't own the property. Um, the week before we actually settled on the property, the bank revalued the house that we'd renovated and what we paid for the whole block they put that mortgage onto the front house alone because the value of the whole block then moved totally onto the front house because we value added. And about six weeks before we actually settled, I advertised uh, Be In Your Own Home by Christmas or Easter or whatever time of the year it was and on-sold that hat, um, marking it up 20% and getting 2% more in our interest that we were paying for the bank on our 80% lend. And we then on-sold that property through Vendor Finance to another person the day after they moved in, the day after we actually settled on the property. So we were making... um, Well, we got a free block of land. With such a positive outcome... McIntyre explains that they went on to continue with cosmetic renovations and why sticking to working strategies is something anyone can do given the right circumstances. We were making 20% more on the property because we marked it up to on-sell it and vendor finance and wrapping is very much um, for people that are on good income but have a very low saving capacity. And it worked for them and it worked for us. And um, yes, so we made extra money there on the 2% above what we were paying then. And it was a fabulous strategy. So we just went on and kept on multiplying, multiplying, you know, redoing that same strategy and using it it again. Um, You don't have to reinvent the wheel every time you finish a a strategy. Just fine-tune it and use it again if it works for you in the market at that time. She explains why cosmetic renovations were their choice of property strategy and adds that they'd fixed up only what they could. Although we were uh, lucky that one of the four of us was a plumber and he was a little um, Italian guy that just just a delight and he uh, was also very, very handy. And, you know, we painted the house and the boys painted the house on the outside. I painted it in, made curtains and... Um, got a new complete kitchen in at a very, very budget price because we're talking about budget houses here too. 
uh, and there was just good money even made, but cosmetic didn't have to get council approval because we were doing everything internally. Um, you know, you didn't have to go through approval time with deckings. We'd been through all of that with all of those multi-dwelling properties and, and the Land Environment Court. We certainly weren't going to do projects where you had to get council approval for an extra room or something. We're happy to do it, of course, for the subdivision, but that's where it stopped. It was from this experience, as well as after working with a property mentor, that McIntyre began to present, which led to her creating her coaching program. This was very much um, about value-adding to a property. How can you see the, the vision and... I would, from my experience, I would say about 80% of people aren't visionary. They can't see the potential in a property unless it's been done. But it was strange. I'm still um, very much working with my original property mentor all these years down the track, and he would get me back to present about every six weeks to his new intake people that would come through. So I got the confidence because, remember, all those years ago, I didn't wasn't too good on the self-esteem stakes, that's for sure, and confidence stakes, and certainly absolutely froze when I had to speak at, in front of a group. And uh, he would get me up every six weeks to present and, and um, you know, talk about what I was doing. And I've had a lot of people who would come and say to me, can we spend time with you and see what you do? And I'd say, really, it's pretty boring on a daily basis. <laughs> um, as, as you know, you don't, you don't go and do property and it's just exciting. There's a lot of mundane things in between this that you've got to do. But from that, um, I started up a day with Jill and I'd take people uh, in small groups and go into states sometimes and do larger groups where I'd take them out, um, work through different strategies that I'd been doing, take them to different blocks that we'd have a look in their area, ring up agents. It was a practical hands-on day. So started that off and um, yes, I did that as well for quite a while. On a final note, McIntyre shares that throughout her journey, there has been many aha moments where she's found property to be the best investment vehicle for her, especially when working with one of her current property partners. I've found a site, uh, I've got a, a property partner and uh, I like working with someone because as I mentioned earlier, I'm very much into personalities and types and there's there's a guy in, in Perth, um, Mary Emery, and he, to me, he was a guy that has everything. He's a marketing guru and I heard him present at a very large um, auditorium of people uh, many years ago and it was all on mindset and growth and he said, I'm only good at 5% of what I do. The other 95% I leave to people that are better suited to a task than I am. And I bring this in so regularly that we can do so many jobs in a renovation, so for example. But what what jobs are going to take me three times as long to do them that's going to hold up a project that means I've got more holding costs or I'm running out of time that I'm not owning the property and getting something done? So it certainly helped me to equate what am I good at and what are my strengths at? Then to bring and build a team on to who do I need on the team that can do something better than I can? And it's equating my time and valuing my time and putting it in the areas that I am really good at 
and using people who can do it. So I've got a, a property partner at the moment who's um, a lot younger than I am, but he's a builder. He can hone the nails in very straight and I've got no intentions of ever learning. Um, I'm the gas bag out the front. I'm the one that, that has the liaising with the agent negotiating and things like that. He's very analytical. I love doing back-of-the-envelope type equations and working out quick ready reckoners. Uh, yes, I'll know it works, and then we will go further, but he'll do the intricacies of um, the feasibilities and come up with all of those sorts of strategies because he is very analytical. And then I, you know, it, it just works well. So anyone listening, start to think about where your strengths are and put them and make the most because that's what you really need to be moving forward and capitalising on what your strengths are as being your worth. Then bring people into your life as part of your team. And, of course, there have got to be people that you want to work with that um, can come with the same sort of thinking as you're moving forward in property. So, inspired by Jill McIntyre's journey and her amazing aha moment, We'll keep the conversation going in a future episode of Property Investory. We'll discuss some of the strategies. I do this with my clients on a daily basis and and honing in and being a, even to you, we've been talking about this, about you being an area expert in one area and keeping your focus and defining down into one area. The personal habits which have been contributing to her success. I'm pretty methodical about working on me. And I always say I was presenting uh, a week back and uh, I, I get up and in part of that particular presentation, I said, we all put petrol in our car to make it run. How much petrol do we put into ourselves? And that's next time in a future episode of Property Investory. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.